Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. How about off mute? You checking that out? Does that sound okay? Yeah, I'm only as I'm only as wide as the little diamonds. It makes me look thinner. All right. Are we ready to go? We're good. All right. Well, amen. Welcome, guys. Thanks for coming. Um, if by chance somebody's here and doesn't know who I am, good for you. Uh, my name is Jeff Bartell, and uh, currently senior pastor of First Baptist Church in New Philadelphia, Ohio, and uh, at one point in my life, so I've been there for a little over 12 years, um, spent 14 years as a career missionary in the country of Albania, so um, that doesn't make me an expert by any stretch of the imagination, it just means I have some experience uh, living my life through a series of circumstances that the Lord has allowed, and uh, this morning, you know, James did a great job. We had a great, I think there's a theme, obviously, because the things that he shared are going to roll right into the things that, that I'm going to share with you as well. Uh, we have some, some very practical things to share with you here. Look, at, at Midtown or whatever your church that you call your home churches, if you're a part of our fellowship of churches, you guys, you get a lot of really great Bible teaching all the time. And if you get a lot of really great Bible teaching all the time, which is fantastic, you absolutely need that for all the right reasons of how it should affect your life daily and uh, form your theology and therefore your practice. But because of that, I, this particular session is not Bible heavy at all. This particular session is just very hands-on, nuts and bolts practical. And, and the goal for what it is we're doing is to try and give you some handles how do I get from here to there? So I'm going to be operating, just so you know, on an assumption. And the, the assumption I'm going to be operating on is that you're here because you're in a position in your life where either you yourself are seriously desiring and considering some future in some cross-cultural ministry, or you're some level of an influencer of others who will. Okay. And so you're going to get some practical handles on how can I get my life to the point where I'm, I'm doing what I know to do faithfully where I'm at? I have dreams of bigger things. And what can help me facilitate taking positive steps forward to see those things happen? Let me say to you that if that's you, um, I have sat where you sit, okay? And uh, without boring you with my story, I have sat where you sit and I was a young man growing up in the Lord in my 20s in Decatur, Alabama, in Decatur Baptist Church, where Pastor Joe McKay currently pastors. We kind of grew up in that ministry together. And uh, I dreamed of the day that I could stop doing engineering work from nine to five, and I could serve the Lord all day, all the time, in a place where nobody's ever heard the gospel before. And I didn't know if I would ever be prepared or qualified to do it, but that's what I wanted. And uh, so through 
the processes of my experiences and the ways that the Lord worked, you'll, what you'll find is, and, and not ironically, that a lot of the things that, that I'll share with you today are actually going to overlap a lot of things you just heard. And uh, if you think that means that I didn't really study and I'm stealing James stuff, you can think that. Uh, or you can think that God has some consistency in the way that he raises his children. And God has some plans that he's going to follow through with some variation for your circumstances for all his children. There are certain lessons you need to learn. There are certain things that you need to see achieved if, if you're going to be sent out legitimately. Um, I'll, I will try to not rabbit trail. That's a bit of a challenge. And, uh, but we have plenty of time here today. And I would like for this session it, to be interactive. So at any level, um, please don't hesitate. You know, interrupt me, raise your hand, say something, and uh, wherever we're at, you know, we'll get, uh, we'll get to that. I, I don't have any presentation that looks cool, so I apologize for that. But really what I'm going to share with you are just a, a few little bullet points. And if you're interested in taking notes, it'll be real easy just to jot down a few bullet points and, and you can kind of follow through with what that is. We do have that handout coming. We'll pass it out. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. So when that comes, you'll have the bullet points already written for you. So that'll be fine. So you can just kind of listen. Awesome. So with that, let me just, let me just give you a brief, very brief history of my experience, just so you can, you can have an idea. So I got saved when I was 21 and then studied the Bible, got plugged into a good church, began to learn discipleship training and all that sort of thing. Our version of it back in the eighties in Alabama. And, uh, and then when I turned 30, then the Lord made it clear to me that he had a plan for my life to move to the country of Albania in 1992, which was just opened after the fall of communism. And uh, without going into the details of that particular country and those, those issues, what's maybe the most important for this conversation today is this. I was a 30-year-old bachelor, and uh, not unlike some of the things James was sharing, in the previous hour, I, I had to surrender in my heart to the Lord that I, I had this deal in my mind. I was sure the Lord signed off on my deal. He would give me a wife and we would go serve him somewhere. And of course it would happen in that order and it didn't. So he made all the circumstances clear that this is the time and this is the place. And if you're willing, go to Albania now. And my pastor and my church, they were behind it and it was all fine. The only problem was I was, I was still alone. And so I, I did surrender, praise the Lord. And I went to Albania as a bachelor and um, 30 years old and on my own and, and no ministry team, no partners, no mission board. It, it was a very unusual set of circumstances. And, uh, but the Lord was doing something. And, and so, you know, these levels of surrender and just trusting the Lord and taking steps, they're really important because if I spent more time talking about me, which I won't, what, what you would know about my story is that all the prerequisite lessons of life to prepare me to move 6,000 miles away alone to a place I didn't know anybody and didn't speak the language and didn't have a team and, and just had to start from scratch in a country that was an atheist country and had no Bible and no church to join, to partner with. Well, God had taken me through several 
iterations of challenges and preparations in my life to where this was actually the third time in my life I was moving all alone to a new place. And I'd done a lot of independent start from scratch things in my life. And he'd worked me through a lot of the stages of the things that we'll see as we look through our little checklist here. And uh, so for me at that stage of my life, it wasn't that huge of a step. While yet at the same time, it was a massive step because we're trusting the Lord. So while you're getting the highly coveted list of like 10 things. No, I got it. Thanks. Let me. Um, let me just take a second and pray and then we'll just jump into the we'll jump into the actual outline today. And like I said, it's going to be really it's going to be really practical. Um, I'm so thrilled that you guys are here and I'm so thrilled for anybody that might be following either now or later online, because if you're considering the work of a missionary as your vocation, let me just tell you, it's the greatest job in the world. It's super hard. It's the, there's not a greater job. It's my humble opinion. I'll have it until the Lord takes me home. Others can disagree. They'd be wrong. It's the greatest job in the world. So I'm thrilled for you. And if something we can share can help you, then, then praise the Lord for that. Heavenly Father, we love you and we come to you in, in, in just humility, thanking you for the things that you do in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, we're, we're not often smart enough to know all how that works out until after the fact. But I'm thankful for the church. You, you put this together in a structure. We don't have to figure it out on our own. You gave us the church. And the church is the vehicle. The church is the protection. The church is the guidance. And uh, you gave us your word. And the word is the lamp unto our feet. And, and it is the thing that's going to illuminate our path and help us to understand what it is we need to do. And I, and I just pray as we look at a couple of simple Bible principles and then, and then flesh it out through the experiences of life that you've given to many of us, I, I do pray, God, that, that you would speak and that you would help uh, these folks to understand what might be before them as they seriously lay it all on the line and uh, take whatever steps you would have for them tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. We have great opportunities in front of us and maybe no greater day to discuss it. The very last day of this year, tomorrow's a brand new day and a brand new year and our, and our life is just ahead of us. And so I pray you'd use it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, um, you know, this is kind of put together and designed to just be a checklist for you. That's all. Uh, any number of things as it may hit you, just take it as it hits you. Um, so the assumption, like I said, is that you're interested in, in how to get from here to there. What do I need to do to prepare myself so that I potentially can be a career missionary at some point? How do you do that? Well, the answer to that question, how do you do that? Well, that's develop a strategy. And so that's your, your first point is we're going to talk about preparing your strategy. And we're going to talk a little bit about biblical planning. And so the brief Bible study is just a couple of verses out of Hebrews that you're already well aware of. But biblical planning, in my opinion, is a statement of faith. Um, you know, you may not have the gift of administration and all that sort of thing, but the fact that you can plan ahead for everybody, everybody plans for some stuff at some level, right? So planning, putting a plan together, a strategic plan to take definite steps to move towards a goal. Well, that, that is by definition, a statement of faith. Um, you know, we, we lead a church that has some considerable resources uh, that we are given the stewardship over and we make a budget every year 
and the budget for our church, and in my opinion, is it's a statement of faith. We're going to put our money where our faith thinks God wants us to go. And uh, this is what you should be doing as well. So all faith is not planning, but all planning is faith. You're trusting the Lord to see that in a year, five years, or whatever down the road, you're going to be at a place that you currently aren't. That's trusting the Lord. So, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So it's based on what God says. God says things in his word. You take him at his word. And then you just start acting as though it's so. So you come from good Bible-believing churches. They teach you the word at a frequency and a level beyond which you can fully grasp and comprehend 100% of. You are overloaded with good teaching. And that good teaching should drive the decisions that you make as though it's so, even though you haven't seen it realized yet in your life, right? And so if you glance down a few verses in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, basically what it says is without faith, it's impossible to please him. I don't know about you, but I can't hardly run, run an end around on that verse. It's not not likely that you'll please him. No, it's impossible for you to please the Lord without faith. And faith is trusting God at his word when everything else doesn't make sense. And so in the context of what we're talking about, in, in my opinion, that would be your intentional setting forth of a strategic plan and definite steps to begin to see your life pointed in a direction toward your goal of faith to serve him without question effectively right now, but yet with greater visions beyond borders and boundaries, you know, geopolitical boundaries and taking the gospel to the whole world. It, it is an exciting thing. And so this vision of going forward, well, it's just, it's just an exercise of faith. And I, and I, I don't think you can overemphasize that. Um, the, the reference in Proverbs 6 is, is, well, let me just read it to you, but it's, in my opinion, the praise, it's God's stamp of approval on this idea of setting a plan in place, right? So it says, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Then it continues on with the contrary part of that, which Joe shared last night. And it says, how long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? For yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. If, if you're just going to sit around with your arms folded and kind of wait for the magic fairy dust to fall on you, and, and present this miraculous opportunity to land in an exotic place and, and be the hero of the faith, it'll just never happen. Uh, you're a sluggard. That, that's, that's the answer to that. But rather, consider some of God's creation that has worked into their you know, DNA to, to work hard and prepare for the future. So go to the ant, learn some of their ways, right? And so they were, they were motivated these ants. They were, they were self-starters. There's, no, there's nobody telling them or yelling at them what to do. They had a purpose. Their purpose was they had to gather their food for survival. They established some goals. They needed it 
for all the seasons, the summer and for the winter, they ordered some priorities because, well, instead of going out and playing basketball, they decided they were going to gather food. They were going to do the work they needed to do. And they had some objectives. They had to, they had to stay the course and follow the guy in front of them and pick up what they could pick up and bring it back, you know, home. And there was structure. They worked together as a team and you could break down all these things. But the point being is there's some deliberate intentional steps that are taken so that they can achieve what they're looking for, not starving in the winter, you know, and things like that. So let's get into our checklist. Um, if you're going to develop a strategy for your life, if you're interested in finding your life being even yet more significant and being privileged to be a part of introducing the gospel to people who without you going wouldn't have that chance, well, the first truly most important key thing is let your pastors know. If your church leadership doesn't know that this is a desire of your heart, um, you're behind. You, they need to know because at the end of the day, they need to be a part of your team. They need to be a part of sending you where ultimately you will go. If you find yourself falling prey to some of the modern philosophies of ministry that you don't need to be sent through the structure of a local church. And our churches generally got that down, but maybe somebody's listening who comes from a church who doesn't understand that. If your church won't confirm, ordain, send you, commission you and send you under their authority, uh, then you're not one who is sent, which is the biblical definition of, well, the word in the Bible is apostle, which is the exact same meaning as the word missionary. You're not one who is sent. To be sent, you have to be sent by somebody. And the biblical model is always and only the local church. If you buy into the modern ministry philosophy that you can just go on your own and you can, you can uh, subcontract out and freelance your own mission's future because you love the Lord and you want to do something and your church isn't interested or whatever, and you're just going to sign up with a parachurch independent organization, or you're just going to go on your own because you love Jesus that much. Um, you, you're, you're putting yourself in a very hazardous position because God's church is God's protection. God's church is God's stamp of approval. God's church is, is critical. You need your pastors and shepherds to love and care and protect you when, when you think you're Every young man in the faith thinks they're ready before they're ready. If you're a young man or woman in the faith and, and you don't think that, well, it's because you, you're just not that interested to care. But everybody gets enthusiasm before they get experience. Everybody. And what you want is you want to balance the experience with the enthusiasm. And so jo my job and, and the jobs of others like me is to you know, be the bummer in the room. My job is to take the guy who's all excited and, and pull him back so they get mad at me. And, you know, it doesn't always make us the best friends, but I'm doing what I need to do before the Lord so I can help you do what you need to do in the long term, right? Your pastors need to know because at the end of the day, they then can help you do these other things that we're going to look at. You need to be on their radar. You may truly be a fine Christian person who lives a holy life and tries the best you know how to, to be a faithful evangelist, et cetera, et cetera. 
and, and maybe they've noticed you and maybe they have, I don't know, but you should at least let them know. I mean, they have to be aware because the ways that, if you're on their radar, opportunities come up in ministry and people shift around and somebody leaves one ministry assignment, moves to a different ministry assignment and there's a need over here and who can we get to fill that need while somebody's going over here and doing something else? And if you're in a church like this church that is so aggressively looking to send out their very best people, by the way, you may not realize what an enormous sacrifice that is for a leadership team of a church to take their very finest people and intentionally let them go for the benefit of the expansion of the kingdom, then those leaders have to find people from among us to fill the other slots, right? If they're aware that you're interested, they might consider you for something they would not have considered you otherwise. And then you'll miss out on the opportunities to plug into the experiences that'll be afforded you to be stretched in your faith through those steps. Does that make sense? So if you don't do that, you know, it's that it's the old adage. If if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Right. You've got a plan. You've got to you've got to ultimately take steps that include your pastoral leadership's approval as you're taking those steps. And, and we'll see some of these things you can't do without their approval, like number two. OK, serve in as many different church ministries as possible. Now. Most churches are structured this way. Our church is certainly structured this way. You can't just show up and say, I'm serving with the kids today. <laughs> Sorry, we haven't done a background check on you yet. We haven't done this yet. We have, we, have place, we have things in place and we have structures in place for a reason. And you may want a lot of things. For a long time in our church, it was always the youth ministry. Everybody wants to serve in the youth ministry because, I mean, who doesn't want to shoot Nerf guns and buy pizza and play in Jesus name. Like who doesn't want to do that? So everybody wants to sign up for youth ministry and nobody wants to sign up for middle school ministry, right? Because that's the pre-cool ministry and that's the dorky ministry and uh, whatever, whatever, fill in the blanks, however you want to. At the end of the day, um, you can't just do that. You're going to need somebody to agree that you can be a vital part of that team or that team has no slots available right now or whatever. Okay, so you need your pastor's approval. I beat that hard enough. And the point is this, as much as you have the opportunity, okay, the more different various ministry assignments you can get on your resume, the better off you'll be whenever the day comes that you're relocated and probably all alone or on a very limited group of, of people and a very small team of people trying to initiate something new. So if you have experiences in children's ministry and in youth ministry and in adult ministry and in a teaching ministry and in a, a counseling ministry and in whatever, whatever it might be, just doing uh, maintenance stuff, doing whatever behind the scenes stuff, being the guy who's willing to do any dirt job that nobody else wants to be that guy, be the guy who, who says, I'll show up late on Saturday to get ready for Sunday. I'll show up super early in the morning and set stuff up. I'll clean up after everybody's done. You guys go ahead. I'll, I'll help set up microphones. I'll help tear down the stage. I'll help clean up the nursery. I'll help whatever. Just be the, the quiet, humble volunteer in any area. Listen, we never have enough of those. Um, 
A lot of guys want the spotlight. A lot of guys just want a microphone. A lot of guys just want to be recognized or just be willing to do whatever it is you possibly can do. And, and I say this because this goes critically together with this point. So that you understand the varied experiences will help you. You then relocate, you're in your new country, whatever it is, you're all alone or you got one ministry partner and you're like, okay, well, we got some kids. We got to work with the kids. None of us have ever worked with kids. What are we going to do? I don't know. You got a veggie sales video. What do we do with them? I don't know. Um, the more experiences you had, the better off you are. But, but let me say this, you know, what's really going to help you in this process. And again, your pastors will only allow you to shift so much, maybe based on the needs, but trust the Lord through that. At, at the same time, I think it's, it's upon you. you you're, you're serving faithfully in one area. You'd like to get a more varied resume. You let your pastor, hey, I'd like to be able to shift if that's possible. I know that there's a lot on your plate. You can't just necessarily find a volunteer if I quit this ministry because they're counting on me here in the fifth graders or whatever it is. I'll find somebody, I'll train them, and I'll replace myself if it's okay with you. And then I'll be free to do something else if you'll allow it. Now, let me just tell you something. You say that sentence to your leadership and you got their attention. You actually then have to follow through with, oh man, well, I'm discipling this guy, but he's, you know, he's kind of weird and he's not really getting it. Well, I'm going to try and bring him in and teach him and train him and help him and show him what I do and show him the ropes and make sure he's not going to do damage to the name of Christ, the name of this church and the, and the well-being of the, the people they're shepherding, whatever the case is. You train them and prepare them and, and literally completely replace yourself. They can do what you do if you're not there. Now you're free to go do something else somewhere else. When you start proving that you can replace yourself without somebody else having to, well, you know, I'm, I'm done here. I want that now. Who's going to do that? I don't know. You're the pastor. Well, how about I want you to stay there? Well, now you're the bad. Okay. Again, this is my job. This is what I, I have signed up for it when, you know, I get it. But, but if you start developing the always replace yourself skill, don't ever fear that you work yourself out of a job and have nothing to do because that skill brothers and sisters, doesn't hardly exist. You develop that skill, the I can replace myself skill, you always got something to do. There's always more that needs to be done, right? And I think that actually should play into the ultimate strategy of getting more done worldwide, right? Because if I can train you to do what I do, now I'm free to go do something nobody's doing. And now more's getting done because what I was doing is still getting done. And what I'm attempting to start to do can now start to get done as well. So more can get done. Um, connected with that, as you're considering what else to do, maybe your church has a lot of fine people plugged into their spots and there's no space for you. Well, number three, consider pioneering something new. I mean, you know, James talked about it. What if, what if there's a group of people in the neighborhood that nobody cares about? What, what if there's a group of people that nobody's trying to reach out to? Um, maybe there's a group of internationals, maybe there's whatever, some down and outers, maybe there's just whatever, just some area of town that it, you'd like to break into. Maybe you just do some evangelism in your neighborhood. Maybe you start a Bible study in your home, maybe whatever. It's just pe people are people, right? No soul is more 
important than any other. I mean, people are people. Let's just win some of them and start a Bible study in our home and maybe we can develop that and bring them into the church, right? Um, whatever it is, if you can start something new to win new people to the Lord and bring them into the fellowship of the church, well, that's a, that's a very valuable skill that you should be strategically looking forward to considering because obviously, if and whenever, you get the approval and you're sent out to go do something new in a new place, well, you're starting a new ministry. You're pioneering a new work. You're having to lead people to the Lord and disciple them and train them and bring them into fellowship and begin to help them to understand their responsibility to serve the Lord and evangelize, et cetera, et cetera, for generations to go. So practicing having pioneered something because look, once you kind of have it down, how to serve faithfully in the structure of an existing church, which is no small thing. You kind of got that t-shirt. I mean, how many times do you have to keep repeating, rinse and repeat that? I mean, it's a lot easier, face it, when somebody else has done all the hard work, provided the structure, and then just assigns you a place and, and you show up and you have a nice little podium and you know you teach a class. Well, that's all based on a lot of hard work by a lot of people before you ever got there, right? So if you can carve out of a rock, out of nothing and make it something, well, that's a, that's a skill set. That's a valuable skill set that your pastors will notice. Listen now, you might actually have what it takes to be sent thousands of miles away and away from the support group family of this church all alone to start something new because you've already done it. You've done it before. You've replaced yourself in ministry four times. You've had successful discipleship uh, relationships. They're grown. They're serving. Now you're just doing it with a new address. Now you're just doing it in a foreign language that'll take you a little while to learn. Um, but these are really important things that, I mean, think think for a second. I'm trying to kind of gauge. I don't want to go too short, I don't want to go too long, but don't forget the part where you can interrupt me if you want. Um, think about what it takes to actually do that. Think about the work that, and some of you have done that. What, think about the work, what would be required for you to go, and let's just say there's some Hispanic community that has some area town where they're kind of centralized in and nobody's reaching out to them or whatever the, whatever the people group is. And, and you're gonna try, and you're an outsider. What would it take for you to be, make friends with them? They don't trust you, they don't know you, they're not gonna accept you. What do you gotta do to make them be your friend? Just think through what that might be then what might you have to adjust in your schedule so that you can actually demonstrate to them that you actually care? Maybe you'll have to start giving up other things that you do with your spare time so that you can invest time to care about them. What kind of homework are you gonna to have to do about how they live their life so that you can, I hate to say the word pretend, make yourself begin to learn to like things you didn't previously like so that you can tell them that you like it too, so that you can do it together. I'm gonna to play soccer with you guys or whatever. Um, they'll laugh at you because you'll be terrible and they'll be great and whatever, but you're, you're showing them love. You're trying, to, you're trying to break it. 
think through all the different skill sets that would be necessary. Well, they speak English, but it's broken. Okay, well, start learning Spanish, even though it's broken. Meet them in the middle, do what you can. Um, well, they, you know, they have X, Y, Z things about them that's really weird. Have you cared enough to try to get to know who they are and the circumstances that brought them to this country and why they do the things that they do in that manner? It may make perfect sense if you got into their world and understood the culture of that move that they had to undertake to come here to make a few bucks to send back home to their extended family that's all waiting for their paycheck every week. All of these things factor into a skill set that is directly then translatable into whatever new cultural location God may, may give you. Um, so pioneering a new ministry, man, that's, that's, a great, that's a great thing for you to consider. Um, you'll be giving up some of the things in your otherwise normal routine in order to do that. That's actually on the list a little farther down. Uh, number four, take mission trips on purpose. So if you've never been on a foreign mission trip, I know right now travel is restricted and all, but assuming travel becomes less restrictive and you can go somewhere. If you've never been on a short-term mission trip, you must go. You, you can't even, it's ridiculous to even entertain this conversation if you haven't ever been on one of those trips. So if you haven't ever been, start saving your money and praying about it and consider where you can go and when you can go. Typically those are one or two week trips. Typically people take them on their vacation from work. Um, but if you go on one of those trips, do it on purpose. Do it with goals in mind. So the Bible Institute is set up that you have to go on a mission trip and you have to write a report about it. And all the different parameters of the report are going to basically be centered around what did you do? What did you learn? What did you observe? How did you affect it? What were your activities? What did you find out about how this was effective or not ineffective to reach these people? Okay, so if you go on a short-term trip like that, do it with a mindset towards, I mean, don't kid yourself. You're not going on a one, you're not going on a 12-day trip somewhere and winning that country of the Lord. You're not going on that trip and, and you, you may not even be helping that much, the ministry of the guy who you're visiting. They're probably going to be spending months in preparation for your team and going to be exhausted the whole 12 days you're there being your travel guide. And when you're gone, he's probably going to have to clean up messes that you made while you were there. But he's doing it for you. He's doing it to be a blessing to you. You say, how could you say such a thing? Because I've done that. I know that. Now, I'm not saying that teams can't affect positive change. You can. You can do a lot of good things to help out. But what I'm saying is these short-term trips are really good for what they're good for. And it's just to expose and begin to see and begin to learn. But I would say, here's what you don't need to do. You've been in a church like this. You've been in a church like this for a long time. You said, oh, I've been on mission trips. I've been on 26 of them now. What you don't need are 26 short-term trips on your belt. That's not doing you any good if you want to strategically prepare for the potential life. Because a two-week trip. We used to say it this way, regardless of the hardship of the trip, wherever you might find yourself, here, here's, the, here's the, the statement we, we used to throw around with my friends. You can endure anything with a return ticket in your back pocket. When you got a return ticket in your back pocket and you got to go sleep on a rock and take a cold shower and 
God forbid, man, I went to Malawi and those baboons are running around everywhere and screeching all night. And I just hate the baboons, man. Just, they made fun of me because I was scared of them. Okay, but I had a return ticket, electronically ready to go with my name on it. I mean, in a week and a half, I'm out, man. You guys keep your baboons, I'm done. They're they were this big, walking around everywhere. I'm sorry, just freaking me out. They're faster than I am, they're stronger than I am, they can climb, they can run, they can do it all. I'm like, man, I got nothing. Okay, whatever you might find yourself going through, you gotta return tickets, you can endure anything. So what you need to do is begin to consider strategically taking a longer term trip with other goals to teach you new things, right? So if you've been on one or two of those short-term trips, don't sign up for any more. Unless your pastor specifically says, I need you to come with me to carry out this task. Maybe you're in charge of the team with the pastor and you, okay, that's the, that's the exercise he wants for you. Okay, that's fine. But if you're just considering for you, consider what I would call a medium term trip. So Joe McCaig had talked about the, um, the uh, scholarship fund that they have for in interns potentially. And that could go anywhere from three months to two years, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, what a wonderful opportunity. Um, that's just to help you fund it. But, but consider if you could actually go, if you could, my wife's a school teacher, if by chance you have that kind of a job and you could take three months off and spend the entirety of that time somewhere and you live with a missionary family and all the novelty of the first two or three weeks wears off and now you gotta actually go shopping by yourself and you gotta interact with people daily and it ain't sexy anymore. Now it's just a lot of hard work and you're in the midst of a people that don't know you, they don't care about you, they didn't invite you to be there and they don't care if you come or go or die or live, it don't matter to them. You're just, you're just a strange face in their town. And, and you start experiencing some of those things and you start recognizing what it takes to get to know people, sit down, have a cup of coffee with them, go meet them somewhere, sit down, try and share the gospel with them, try and and it's not a tailor-made group activity anymore. And you know, you're sleeping and the street dogs bark all night while you're sleeping and the dogs sleep all day while you're supposed to be awake and the roosters start crowing and, the, and you're in Islamic country and the, the hoge goes out there and he's you know, bellowing the prayers five times a day and the, whatever it is, you, you can't sleep at night, the noises are weird, the smells are weird, everything that's going on is weird and you're like, man, this, this is really hard. Yeah, congratulations. You're beginning to learn some stuff. You begin to get a feel. Maybe you're staying, at, it never worked out for me. I had planned to take a, a medium term trip uh, back in the early 90s, just before I ultimately went to Albania uh, as a career missionary. But I was a single guy and our church knew a single missionary that was in Honduras, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, we were gonna set it up for me to spend the whole summer with him. And I was really excited about that. Anyways, my circumstances didn't work out that I did that, but what a huge benefit that could be for you uh, as you begin to work through some of those things. Well, then the next thing would be a long-term internship, which is more of what Joe was talking about as well. I just call that working a ministry internship. If available, they're not always available. And that could be locally or that could be internationally. So if it's local, maybe your local church or maybe your local church could cooperate and partner with another local church and maybe somehow or another, you could figure out a way to be funded 
to work for a church as an intern for a year or something. Maybe one of our people could serve your church. Maybe one of your people could serve somebody else's church. And maybe you raise a little support to do that because you're going to quit your job now and you're going to actually just be trained about what it is day-to-day -day ministries and meetings and strategies and prayer and assignments and delegation and all the things associated with the business of ministry that you wouldn't understand if you weren't a part of that. Well, that can be very valuable even if you're only doing it here in town in your very own church. Well, it can be even more valuable if by chance that opportunity has afforded you to do it in a foreign country. Uh, we, had a, a, we have a, an opportunity with the ministry that, that we developed in Albania that there are three mature churches that we left behind and, and three godly Albanian pastors uh, that lead each of those. And, and those guys are willing to cooperate with us if we want to send people to be trained for missions ministry under their leadership. And we had one of our guys who graduated LFBI, his name's Corey Van Sickle. Some of you may have met him. And uh, Corey and his wife, Trisha, were going to go and spend 2020 in Albania for the entire year. They've surrendered to be missionaries and aren't sure where they should land. And it doesn't matter. They were just going to do this internship in Albania. Um, a lot of circumstances happened and Trisha had some health issues and 2020 became what it was and that internship didn't actually pan out. But we have the structure in place in Albania to help somebody be under the leadership of godly Christian national pastors so that they can learn now the same kind of day-to-day -day ministry skills, but while they're in a foreign context, so they can be studying a language. I would require them to learn Albanian, even if they didn't land in Albania permanently, because the exercise of what it takes to go to language school and learn and then practice it on the streets and go to bed every night with a headache because your head can't, is exploding from the two languages and you're frustrated all the time. And yet you're being plugged into some ministry and you're working with a translator because you don't know how to talk well enough to do it without a translator. And the translator doesn't show up on time and you can't and all the things that you would never even consider. Oh, by the way, you'll have to have an apartment. You'll have to go pay your own bills and paying your light bill. It you know, takes about seven hours to wait in line because you have to do it in cash and you have to do it in person. And you can't just you know, click something and you're done. And because they don't do it that way because they don't trust anybody. They figure everybody's scamming them so that you just got to do it and you got to wait in line. And when you wait in line, then they're going to be corrupt and they're going to, okay, I could go on and on and on and on. This is the world we live in. So how could you possibly prepare for that unless you did it on purpose? And before you're going to invest the rest of your life, potentially going somewhere that has all these changes. So you come to a conference like this, man, we make the missionaries the heroes and we should. They deserve to be lauded. Okay. But the truth of the matter is it's hard work. It's really hard work. And it's just like any career you would want to get into. You want to be an MD? There's a lot of hard work. You want to be an engineer? There's a lot of hard work. You want to be a teacher? There's a lot of hard work. Whatever profession it is that you're good at, you got there because you put in a lot of hard work. You trained, you had academic training, you had practical training, you were under somebody else's leadership, you, you had a mentor, you had a leader, they held you by the hand, they kept paying you even though you didn't know what the heck you were doing the first two years in your job. And they taught you with the idea that eventually you'll be worth something. You know, we got a guy in our church who wants to do ministry. And in the meantime, he, he got a job as a plumber. He was an apprentice. Well, that guy that hired him, I know the guy who hired him. The guy who hired him knows that 
kid doesn't know nothing about plumbing for two years. All he did was carry wrenches and break stuff like that. Eventually he got to be, well, okay. Well, why did that guy hire him? Because he's investing in the fact that later on he'll be a good plumber. And later on, he'll actually bring in profits to the business. You know what I mean? Well, ministry, career ministry is a career. And because it's a career, well, it takes preparation. It takes training. It takes intentional experiences because it gets hard. And if you haven't had any of those, and now you're in a foreign country and your wife is crying all the time and your kids miss their grandma and grandma's crying all the time. And because now, because now, you know, you can talk to them every single day. It's actually worse now. It was actually easier in my day. That wasn't even available. Like there wasn't even phones. Like I had to go to the post office like the old school sit in a booth and the lady sticks the, the cable in the deal and I'm okay, mom. If you don't hear anything, I'm not dead. If I die, somebody will contact you, you know. In the meantime, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about grandma. I don't have to worry about, okay, that's, it's gonna be hard. Those things are hard. And if you're not kind of prepared, they can be overwhelming. And, uh, you know, it's culture shock. It's all this kind of stuff. Okay, I'll move on. Um, there's actually more that, that I could, let me, before I go on to the methodology stuff, any questions or comments about that so far? Awesome, this is so clear. You guys get it all. All right, there's, there's other things that we could talk about in coming days. If you're interested in asking me, I'd be happy to help you if I can. Okay, so the next one, I'll, I'll say prepare your methodology. What's the real difference? Okay, well, Again, you're in Bible-believing churches, so all the good preaching you're getting, all the good theology you're getting, hopefully is helping to transform your life into a godly man and woman, okay? Uh, you're becoming the person God wants you to be. Um, you set the strategic path before you. Uh, your circumstances will dictate that with your church and the, and the situations, but you begin to set a strategy before you. And uh, now what are the specific steps you can begin to take even right now. And the things in this methodology, I tried to pick things that, these are things that you don't need your pastor's approval for. Like you don't need anybody helping you get to where you're gonna go for any of these things. These are things you can do today. These are just biblical things. These are just important things. These are things that you must make your own if you expect to have a fruitful ministry. If you can't exercise discipline in these areas, well, you'll, you'll never be fruitful. You can be a missionary in name, and you'll just be a glorified tourist. You'll be somebody who figured out the system enough to get other people to pay their salary so that they could live with a foreign address and think that's cool. And, and I hope that you don't take it the wrong way, but there are far too many people in that category. There are many, many, many people who call themselves missionaries that are not interested in the mission of winning people to Jesus Christ, discipling and training them and establishing biblical local churches. They just enjoy travel. They enjoy the culture. They enjoy being, you know, whatever, any, any number of circumstances. They just they just found a way to live their American life in a foreign culture where they can take cool pictures and feel like they're doing something, but they're really 
they're really not. You don't want to do that, right? So you want to have the skill set. You want to own yourself. You want to own these skills so that you can legitimately be the instrument in God's hand that he can use to affect change for this world. And so, it, you know, it shouldn't have to be said, but because of that, it has to be said. You have to love the Bible. And, you know, this is the heart of Psalm 119, and, and I'm not teaching that to you today. You, you have to, I'm not saying you have to read the Bible. You have to read the Bible to love the, all the other things about the Bible that you could fill in the blank with have to be done with the right heart attitude to demonstrate that you actually love the Bible. And the idea is, is that if you don't love the truth, the ever unfolding new things that come out of the word of God, you've read that David and Goliath story, how many times, and today we could have learned something brand new. It's ever unfolding with new truth. And I love truth. And I love the author of truth. And I can't wait to get more truth. And when I was coming up in our ministry in Decatur, Alabama, back in the day, um, I was a part of the single adult ministry. Joe was for a little while. He got married before I did. But in the single adult ministry, there were some of us who were, I don't, it, it's never going to sound good, Joe, no matter how I say it. My version of the story might be a little different than somebody else's version of the story. But I would say there were some of us that were Bible guys. We love the Bible. We love studying it. We love dissecting it. We love talking about it. We loved arguing about it. We love fighting about it. That might not have always been exactly with the right balance. We, but we love truth. We loved information. We wanted to know more. If God had something new in there, I wanted to learn it. If there was some more I could find out, I wanted to find it out. And there was a whole bunch of other fine Christian folk that didn't really have that passion. No, they're faithful church people. They were tithing people. They would serve on a Sunday if you gave them something to do. But when we would have single adult ministry fellowship nights or whatever, and they would say, hey, let's all go to this person's house and play Trivial Pursuit. That was a thing back then. And, you know, I was the guy who was like, it's called trivial for a reason. You know, I didn't have a lot of friends back then. <laughs> Don't adopt my personality. The idea is this. A lot of Christian people are just happy being Christians and playing basketball with people. If you don't have just this insatiable desire as, you know, the heart pants for the water brook, you know, for the word of God. Save your time, save your money, save every other church's money, and don't go to a foreign country. Be a really nice Christian here. You'll be happier. The church you're in will be happy to give you something to do. It'll be great. It's a great life. It's fine. But if you don't, if you don't love the ever-growing knowledge base that you can get from the Word of God, how can you be what you will probably be, the sole teaching authority on all the various questions that will be asked you by these new converts that are coming to the Lord? And they are not stupid people. They may be economically depressed. They may have any number of cultural biases from their religious traditions or whatever the case might be. 
but they're not stupid and they start reading the Bible and they're going to start in Genesis. And just imagine in your mind the things you start getting in Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. You all know what's in Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9. Okay, the flood, you think that's a little kid's story? Okay, 9, 10, 11, Babel. You start getting into some of these stories and they're like, what's the deal with this? And you're like, I don't know. Okay, okay, great. No, you don't want to be that guy. You've got to be able to give the answers. You have to be prepared for these things, right? So opposition's coming. I mean, you're going somewhere new. You're breaking new ground. The devil doesn't like it. And, and you need to put on the armor of God, but you need to have the sword of the spirit. I mean, if you don't have that, I don't know. Again, don't, you'll do damage to yourself. You'll do damage to the testimony of Christ. There's this weird paradox in missions that I've learned over the years. We don't have near enough missionaries. There, there's a huge world and there's so few of us. We need more missionaries. Conference like this is to generate interest so more people will consider it. There's the flip side of that coin. There's way too many missionaries. But that's in the context of a lot of them that are out there are the wrong kind. They don't know what they're doing. They never should be where they're at. They never should have been sent if they were sent. They never should have went. I only said that because it rhymes with sent. They never should have gone if they went on their own. They just shouldn't have because they're not effective, because they don't have any authority. They don't have a final authority in one book. And if you don't have a final authority in one book, it's just your opinion. And if you're not a smoother talker than the Catholic priest down the way, they'll listen to the Catholic priest. Why would they listen to you? Well, they should listen to you because you have the absolute authority of the word of God and the Catholic priest doesn't. That's the difference. And that has to be your passion of everything that you do. That almost sounds like it doesn't need to be said, but I, I can't imagine it. Uh, number two, always disciple. And I use the word disciple as a verb. Always be discipling somebody. You can do that right now. So you can develop a passion for the word of God right now. You can be actively, never find, never let yourself find yourself without a disciple. Be discipling somebody all the time. I understand how discipleship relationships work. I've been doing this a long time. There's a lot of duds out there. You pour your life into somebody who ultimately decides that ain't what I bargained for. I'm checking out. And you're like, dang, I just spent six months with this guy. And he bombed out. What have I got to show for it? Well, I don't know. How about obedience to Christ? You got that to show for it. But I'm going to tell you something. If your heart's in it right, and if you love the word, and if you love the Lord, and you're trying, and you're praying, and you want truly for this young man or woman in the Lord to grow up and be mature and effective, man, the Lord's going to smile upon that. The Lord's going to eventually give you some successes. You're not, you're not going to strike out every time. And you got to stick at it. You shouldn't be in a desert of time with no discipleship going on. That is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Well, you should be proving that you can make disciples. You should be proving that you can be good at making disciples. That God can use you effectively, that you have disciples that are now mature believers, now serving, now discipling other people reproducing themselves in the lives of others. 
You should have spiritual grandchildren down the line. You should have the experience of knowing, and that experience of knowing, in my opinion, should be more than just one experience. Multiple experiences of having proven that you're a competent spiritual parent. You know how to raise your children and, and bring them up in accordance with the way God raises his children. Now, the good news for you all is our discipleship ministry, D1, 2, and all the way through, is designed on a biblical pattern that cooperates with God's seven steps of growth and development. So if you just plug in the tools, you're already further down the road. You may not have even recognized the strategy behind it. But if you cooperate and are active, well, that's now, this now becomes a habit of your life. Well, you say, well, that's, that's a three-hour chunk of my week. Okay. It should be a priority three-hour chunk of your week. Well, that means I'm going to have to quit, you know, playing in the city tennis league. <laughs> well, well, quit playing in the city tennis league. Who cares? Like the Lord's coming in like 15 minutes. What are you, really, what are you doing? Now I'm saying that generally, of course. I'm sure, you know, none of you actually have that ad. I'm just saying there, there, there comes sacrifice, obviously, with your commitment to do the singular one thing we are left on this planet to do. You don't need your pastor's approval to win somebody the Lord. You don't need your pastor's approval to then take that child in the Lord and teach them stuff. I'm sure they're all for it. I'm sure they're all for it. And uh, so you should have success stories in discipleship and you should have some multiple, in my opinion, success stories in discipleship. Um, if you're going to then try and transplant it somewhere else. Uh, a couple more. I'll, I'll wrap this up here in a minute. Uh, make friends with foreigners. I think I probably hit on that kind of in pioneering a new ministry. But again, just think through right where you live. Where are the internationals? And, you know, they may be in pockets. If there's a whole cultural group in our area where we live, they tend to be from Guatemala. They've emigrated to Tuscarawas County, Ohio. Okay, um, you may just work with a guy who's an international, who's only been in the country a few years and whatever. You know, you don't need 30 of them. You might just make a friend, right? Um, but what will it take to do that? And so think through, look, you can be friends with anybody. You don't need your pastor to tell you. You can be friends, you can be friendly. You can go work out with people. You could spend time with them. You can invite them into your home. If they invite you, you can go. If you, you can intentionally begin to study and like things that they like with this gospel intentionality. You can do that today. Well, I've already got a bunch of friends. <laughs> Good. Maybe they'll understand why you don't spend as much time with them then. Maybe they'll understand if you say, hey, guys, you know, we can't hang out this week. Pray for me. I'm reaching out to this guy. And do it on purpose. I mean, it does take time. It does require a shift of your mindset. You begin to apply that 1 Corinthians 9 being all things to all men that you hopefully can win some. You make the changes in your life so that you potentially can meet them where they're at so that then they'll listen when you get around to having a conversation about the gospel. But that's a skill. That's a skill that takes your intention 
determination, focus, you have to set that as part of your methodology. I wanna do this as a career. I better start practicing right now. You guys that live in these bigger cities, you have a greater opportunity. I mean, we have this population of Guatemalans, which is a very tight knit population. And if we try and break in as non-Spanish speakers who are over four foot five, they're skeptical. They're like, I don't know about you. You might work for ICE. I mean, I don't, you know, all my friends were not legal here, you know, and it's hard to break in, but in a bigger city, you got a lot of internationals and it really, it becomes easier, right? Okay, let's go to a couple of practical things and I'll be done. Um, I would say that what you can begin to do immediately is begin to live simpler. So, you know, one of the, one of the cool trends, you know, that was talked about a lot lately is this idea of living a minimalistic lifestyle. Let me take that as far as you want to. The idea is begin to declutter your life. If you're a typical American, and your house has a basement. <laughs> it's full of junk you don't need and don't use. And that's just true. Uh, or your garage or your attic or your storage shed or whatever, whatever, or that extra bedroom or whatever. We all, we all do it. It's, it's just, the, it's just the, the tendency towards clutter. Okay, um, well, your life can be cluttered with activities. Your life can be cluttered with hours in front of social media. Your life can be cluttered with a lot of things that are just not beneficial to your training and preparation and God's mission, right? So the idea of minimalism, I'm no expert, just what little things I've read, is less clutter, less stress. Free yourself up, live life, enjoy the experiences. That's the idea, right? So you don't need, I don't, I'll say this for myself, I don't need 43 different souvenir coffee cups. Really eight of them is about all we can handle. We wash them frequently, it's okay. You know what I mean? Um, whatever your thing is. Okay, well, whatever it is, I mean, if you will cut back on, do, do you have to have, every time a new phone comes out, the latest phone, do you have to have the coolest, latest gadgets of, and so, the point being first world problems, the more you tie yourself to first world things, if you move to a second or third world environment and don't have those things, it'll be less of a shock to you. So, you know, you don't have to hand wash your clothes to prepare to be a missionary, but you might move to a place where you don't have super size wash machine and super size dryer that work within a couple of hours and your clothes are perfectly ready to go. It may take longer with little mini tools that are available to you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's just a, a laundry list of things that will be different in your new life and your new location that maybe you're living in a big city and you're in an apartment complex with a lot of people around you and just all the things that go with that and space comes at a premium and Man, the, the, the sooner you can begin to learn now to live without and just be happy, the better you'll be able to adapt anywhere you land where they may not have those things available. Now, I know cell phones are everywhere these days, internet's everywhere these days. It's not just technology. It's any particular thing, you know, all, and, you know, we could tie this into um, the next point, 
we'll move on on our little thing. Eliminate recreational activities. Like when I moved to Albania, of course, again, it was the early 90s and it was kind of a different time, sort of. But because I was a bachelor, I did have more free time. I didn't have a wife or kids to worry about at that point in my life. And so when I got done working, when I wasn't specifically involved in a church ministry, I had a lot of free time. So I played a lot of sports. I, I, the church had a softball league. I played that. I mentioned the tennis thing. I played in a city tennis league and my work had a golf league. I played in the golf league. I played in three different leagues. And, you know, whatever times of the day or night or weeks or Saturdays or whatever they did stuff, I did all that. And before I knew it, and I spent a lot of time doing that stuff. And then my pastor asked me to lead the middle school ministry. I cracked on middle school earlier because I did that and I, I get it. Um, asked me to lead the middle school ministry and I just couldn't keep up with the new load of this ministry responsibility and all those recreational activities. We are a people, North Americans. We love our recreation, don't we? And it is so a part of your regular thing you don't even know what life could be like without it. Well, I moved to Albania. None of that was available. It was a decimated country after they came through the whole anti-communism uprising. And it's not like they didn't play sports, but they didn't play the sports I played. Golf, there is no golf in Albania. The, the word golf in the Albanian language is a turtleneck sweater. <laughs> uh, baseball is almost uniquely American. Nobody's doing that, right? Tennis was a thing, but because the country was decimated, there was no tennis courts with nets because if there was a net, somebody would have stole it. And so you had a concrete slab with two poles. You can pretend there's a net and hit a ball to each other if you want, but it's just stupid stuff. I mean, I went from being fairly active with a lot of recreational activities to move into a place where even jogging, like I'd go jogging some and run through the city streets and nobody does that now, but nobody. You don't run through the city unless you're running away from somebody because you did something wrong. That's not cultural adaptation. Everybody's like, who's, who's that weird guy? Why is he running? Why is he wearing shorts? Don't cover that up, you know? So I went from a lot of activity to zero. Well, the truth is there was a transition. As ministry responsibilities and opportunities grew, I dropped one off. Well, then I dropped the second one off. And before I ever was sent to Albania in 1992, I dropped the third. I, you might want to think about how do you, I mean, just, just it's like a budget. It's like a, just, just literally fill your calendar with what do you actually do with every minute of every day? Just fill, don't, don't change anything. Just write it all down like you would do with every dollar you spend or every piece of food you put in your mouth, whatever it is you're trying to study. Okay, that last one I don't like. Okay, so what do you literally do with every minute of your day? You go to sleep, you go to work, you eat, okay. When you come home, how much time is just in front of the television? How much time is just sitting around on social media? How much time is this? How much time are you going working out at the gym? How much, okay, it's fine, whatever it is, I don't care. Just write it all down. And then at the end of a month or two, step back and look at it and say, is that, is that strategic? Is that how I want to spend my life? Is that preparing me for what I want to have in front of me? You know, you don't need your pastor's approval to do that. You can start to simplify and you can start to shed first world American luxuries on purpose 
and still live a very luxurious life, by the way. I'm not, again, I'm not saying don't pay your electric bill and live under a rock if you like that, but you don't, you don't have to do that. I'm just saying you can begin to make steps on purpose. And the last thing I'll mention, and I'll just be done, learn to laugh at yourself. Listen, <laughs> if you don't have a sense of humor, you ain't making it. You ain't making it in a foreign country. Um, if you can't laugh at yourself, then, well, they'll be laughing at you. And you might as well roll with it. You're going to say the dumbest things learning their language. You're going to you know, something that they're going to have a word that sounds really close to another word and you're going to mispronounce it thinking it's this word and you're going to say a dirty word and everybody's going to laugh at you or they're going to be shocked or you're going to, you're going to do the most culturally inappropriate rude thing and you didn't intend it, but they don't know that and they're going to laugh at you. And okay, life is what it is. We're all just a big mess. We're all a work in progress. We're all screwed up right? We all need the grace of God. We all know that. Just, just have fun. Just have fun while you're doing it. Real, don't take yourself too seriously. Just have fun while you're doing it. Trust the Lord. You do something dumb. Hopefully you have good enough friends. They laugh at you now. If they do, laugh with them. Wait for your turn to laugh at them. Be friends. Do what you do. But don't take yourself so seriously. Don't be too pious. Don't be up on your high horse thinking, well, I'm the man of God now. You, you know, how dare you? You'll, if you can't bend, you will break. And there's just no question. That's just a very simple point of life. Everybody kind of knows that. But I just feel like in the context of missions, again, the whole idea is this. Their skill sets necessary for ministry most of these deal with that but there are some skill sets that are just necessary for life and those skill sets necessary for life i pointed out some of so that it will assist a smoother landing into your inevitable culture shock because culture shock cannot be avoided you cannot sidestep the shock that will hit you when you live in a different culture. And culture is just culture. It's not right and it's not wrong. Unless the culture directly promotes sinful behavior, only in those cases is culture wrong, it's sin. If the culture promotes, you know, multiple wives or whatever the case might be. Okay, then the culture's wrong. But otherwise, it's just an alternate way of doing things, right? In London, Brian Clark doesn't drive on the wrong side of the street. He drives on the other side of the street. That's the way they do it, okay? And there's just a lot of things. Okay, so if you'll begin to apply some of these simple things of just adjusting your life to be less connected to the uniquely American version of culture, the easier it'll be for you to then connect. You'll still get shocked. You'll still have things you'll, you couldn't have anticipated. But you know, the more you cry about the way you used to have it, the harder it'll be for you. And so the sooner you can kind of say, eh, I had it, but who cares? I could take it or I could leave it, it doesn't really matter. I know how to abound. I know how to be abased. Praise the Lord.
it's okay. Then, man, you'll be better off. That'll help you. These are just some simple steps. I, I have other things that we teach, but I would just say this, and that is that if, if you'll do these things and faithfully walk through them, if you're a part of our church, and I'm sure most of these churches represented here, we'll send you out as a missionary. We're thrilled to send you out as a missionary. Yeah, Eric. I'm wondering um, if you could respond to the place of vocational training and or tent making in terms of preparation. And I'll tell you what I have in my mind, what the reason why I'm asking that is, you know, in situations like the Vice where they had to leave unexpectedly and they come back and I don't know what happened with giving, who continued giving and who didn't, but I do know that James being a nurse probably comes in handy because he's able to get a job and work during those periods. Right. So what does, what are your thoughts on that and how does that relate to preparing? Yeah, so um, the tent-making model of missions is you go to a country. So Eric Brown is planning to go to Ireland as a tent-maker, if you want to use that terminology, he's going to get a job. And he's going to, you know, start something in Dublin, Ireland, and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, Eric could probably speak even better than I can, but let me just say this. At the end of the day, you're going to try and get a job in the field that you already work, right? So you already have some experience in that field. And when you're working a job in whatever new location you're at, we have a guy from our Albanian ministry and this church actually helps support him in Istanbul in Turkey. Um, he's actually going to school full-time now as a student. So it's sort of similar, but different. But the idea is a lot of guys in Turkey and countries like that, they'll work jobs to be able to get the visa so they can stay in a country like that. Um, well, when you're working, it does, I think, help make the transition a little easier because now you got something to do every day. You're going to work every day. You're working a job that you know something about every day. And so that exercise of going to work and being whatever it is you do, you know, you're running a restaurant, you're an engineer, you're doing whatever you do. It, it gives you legitimacy. People ask you, who are you? Where are you from? Why are you here? Oh, I work for XYZ Corporation. Oh, end of, end of conversation. Um, other, otherwise, like, who are you and why are you here? Well, I'm a Christian and I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Really? That's weird. Go away. Um, so that does that. It also introduces you to a lot of new friends, very naturally, through which you can make friends and share the gospel with them, right? What it hinders is the hours available in a day to plant churches, just like it does here. That's why we pay our pastoral staff so that they can be free to work on exclusively ministry things throughout the hours of the day. And uh, so culturally speaking, I think tent making work is aided by, you know, by having a job and your connection to that culture that way. Um, ministry speaking, it can aid it in the introductory initiation of relationships in the long term, it may get in the way, I don't know, with your workload as the church begins to grow and a lot of things need to be taken care of. Um, but as far as getting ready, you're like, look, I just wanna be good at what I do. I'm gonna be good at what I do over there too. These other cultural living every day, paying bills, that's, now that's still gonna be the same, right? So does that kind of help deal with it? Sure, good, good question. Awesome, anything else? Yeah, Kenny.
the temptation is a person like well, your best is what I know about the Bible. I don't need a straight answer. Nor do I have time for the things that you're presenting in a, a preparation for this morning. Right. Can you speak to some of the challenges that you see that that has created in, in, in the local church and in the people who want to bypass the preparation thinking that I'm ready to go because of what I know. Yeah, well, it's a train wreck, of course. And the reason it's a train wreck is, it's a couple of reasons. One, any excuse presented that has as its goal bypassing preparation <laughs> means you're not prepared. And if you're not prepared, you're not prepared, which means there's going to be trouble down the road. But this particular version of excuse that Kenny mentioned is particularly dangerous because although I'm a teaching pastor, I don't apologize for the level of teaching that we offer. I think it's right. I think it's what we owe the Lord and you all. There's a lot of people who get their head puffed up with knowledge, right? So knowledge puffs up, charity edifies. And they think they know everything. And what they do then is they, they go out armed with a weapon, like a good little Nazi, and they just go slicing everybody's heads off with the word of God, that sharp two-edged sword. There's no fatherly love and care because they never developed all these other skills of caring enough about my fifth grade class to prepare my replacement to care for these children in my absence. And these are the, see, these things that we're discussing here, they're not, they go so far beyond knowledge. They, they speak to maturity. And knowledge is a part of maturity because you have to know what to do before you can do it. But it is only a part. If it doesn't translate into living them out in these very practical ways, then, then it is just a disaster and 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 the name of Christ as a result is is spotted uh, people will now reject the Lord because of your awful behavior know-it-all demeaning degrading other people running them down because I know and you don't and my church taught me and you don't know this I can't believe you know and it's just at the end of the day it's just immaturity and your immaturity can't benefit sustaining a work. It just can't. So even good teaching, which we would never stop offering, that's why you need church. That's why you need pastors. That's why you need overseers. That's why you need the preparation and experience. We're about out of time. Anybody else? Awesome. But I just love the, it's, think about it in terms of career, career training. Whatever career you're going to go into is going to require training. Well, here is your ABCs of missionary career training. I, I love it. So simple, so practical. Awesome. awesome. You pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you, and, and we just thank you for all the things that you're trying to do in our hearts and our lives, and I pray that you just help us to see what we each specifically need to do to cooperate 
I pray, Lord, for this afternoon, everybody would get the rest that they need and that you'd be honored in our lives. Just pray for whoever's sharing with us this evening and you give them power from on high. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.